Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse, and today we got some sponsors to plug out. Our first sponsor is J&J Cabinet Plus. You know, if you need new kitchen decor, right, you need the new granite countertops, you need some new cabinets, you know, you're just feeling like your kitchen might be a little outdated and you want something more updated, well, these are your guys. They're a local business here in McDonough, and they really enjoy helping people get a new kitchen together, get that new granite countertop that your wife has been begging you for, you know, or maybe just you. Maybe you just need, you know, a new kitchen, and you're, you're ready for something a little bit more updated. Go ahead and check them out on Facebook at J&J Cabinet Plus. That's J, letter J, and letter J, Cabinet Plus. Uh, that plus right there, that means that they'll do a little bit of that extra work. Maybe some flooring. Maybe you got some laminate you want to put down. Maybe some new tile. Maybe you need to fix up the bathroom a little bit with that countertop. They don't just do the kitchen stuff. They'll work in any part of that house, and they'll they'll definitely hook you up. Uh, so, again, you can visit them at J&J Cabinet Plus on Facebook. Shoot Josh and Jake a, uh, you know, a private message, and they'll be more than welcome to answer any questions or concerns that you might have. Our next sponsor is Josie Sweet Something. They're another local Georgia business here. Uh, if you need cupcakes, wedding cakes, bridal cakes, baby shower cakes, whatever the cakes may be, this is your girl. She will definitely hook you up with an awesome customized cake. She does amazing work. She personally did my own wedding cake and a couple other wedding cakes of some uh, local friends here, and they were amazing. They taste great. I mean, they are just they're top-notch uh, pastries that she produces out of that company. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Josie Sweet Something. Shoot her a DM. Again, she's another person that would be more than welcome to answer your questions and try to get you the, the, the right cake for the right price um, and to make that, that special day even more special because food is, you know, that is the, the love language of the heart and the stomach. So, again, you can visit her at Josie Sweet Something. Give her a shout. Give her a look. Her Instagram page is full of awesome cakes. And uh, go ahead and check it out. And now we are going to go ahead and get into the episode. And welcome to the Beers, Bros, and Bows podcast. I'm your host, Jesse. And this is episode six. And I got a very special guest on today. I got uh, Brent Kitchens uh, from A3 Archery. And uh, what's up, man? Oh, not much. So, uh, uh, Brent, you want to just go ahead and give a brief introduction to everybody about who you are and uh, where you're from? Yeah. So, uh, um, again, like you said, Brent Kenshin. I'm the uh, owner-operator here at A3 Archery Custom Bowstrings. And, uh, you know, been hunting, fishing, uh, shooting competitive archery uh, pretty much all my life. So. Oh, hell yeah. So, um How'd you uh, how'd you go about getting started with uh, with the whole A3 thing? Um, I know that you, you do the, the custom bowstring work and stuff. And how did that how did that come about? You know, I've been I've been in archery like I said all my life. I've been shooting thirty years and got competitive about I don't know fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. And um, then you know just I got tired of buying bowstrings that really weren't uh, up to up to my specifications. So I said, you know, um, I can build them better. And so I started building my own and building strings for, you know, friends and, um, you know, pe- people that I shoot with. And, you know, here we are today and I, I own a company and 
uh, in my opinion, we, we have a, a really good bowstring, and I'll put it up against anybody out there. <laughs> oh, I bet you will. So uh, I don't see a, I don't see a whole lot of like uh, custom bowstring places. Um, I'm you know I'm fairly new to the uh, to the archery realm myself. Um, you know I haven't I haven't been doing it a long time. I've really got serious into hunting this year, uh, thus opening up this podcast and the company and stuff like that, just to get get some insight for people who are also brand new into all this um you know since i don't see a whole lot of other like custom bowstring uh places like why are like why are you the the better competitor like if people really wanted to go for for your company why would why would you be the better option well yeah well there's a there's a ton of uh of custom bowstring companies out there Uh, a lot of them are really big companies and you know they have a multitude of employees working for them um you know here at a3 every set is made by me and we we kind of have the saying you know we're putting custom back into custom bowstrings um you know when you have multiple people building them um you know consistency is, is, is normally an issue um so you know build them one at a time you know uh, quality is quality over quantity yeah so um what is the what's like the the process of making a bowstring? So if like for guys listening in and, and gals that are kind of wanting to get into that realm, you know, uh, what's the process? I mean, is there is there different kinds of materials? I mean, what are we what are we yeah, working with? A, there's a ton of different materials. You know, our standard is BCY 452X. That's uh, kind of what all other materials are compared to. Um, you know, we choose to use the best out there just because we want the best quality. Um, but yeah, there's there's tons and tons of different materials out there. Most of them are made by BCY. Uh, just just depends on what you're building, uh, whether it be a compound, you know, compound recurve, traditional bow, crossbow. Uh, all the materials are a little bit different. So uh, we we are using a new. There's a new company come out called Bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, Bloodline Fiber Technologies. There, you know, if you if you've been shooting a while, you know, you got to put wax on your string. Right. With Bloodline, they have a proprietary coating uh, that never needs wax. Oh wow! Holy shit! So it's pretty, pretty kind of next gen kind of stuff, and we've been uh, we've been doing really well with it. People people love it. But I mean, as far as the process goes, I mean, we lay out uh, the material by hand. Um, then we do a pretension. You know, we we serve up the ends and uh, put it on a pretension for you know about 30, 45 minutes just to make sure that. Uh, uh, the fibers are stabilizing. The bundle gets stabilized, mm-hmm. and then we uh, take it off of that. We put it in our serving machine under about 500 pounds of tension. Wow! Uh, serve it up, uh, tie them off, and then we put them back on. A, we, we have a kind of a preparatory to us, but we can actually we actually cycle the we actually cycle uh, the bowstring, uh, kind of load it like it's being shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, when you get our bowstring, it's already shot in. Okay, and uh... just kind of. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, just a just a kind of a guarantee that we won't have any peep rotation or any creep, um, you know, after you after you make the install. Mm-hmm. And uh, so going back to the materials and stuff like that, does that what does that do for for the projectile itself? I mean, is it just a a, a quicker snap? Is it just lighter? Is it what's the what's kind of the the thought process behind like needing different kind of materials versus like just using any old elastic string, I guess. Uh, so the material's got a special blend to it. It's got a, what they call a Dyneema and Vectrin. 
veteran is the material that kind of gives you that no stretch, no creep quality. Um, so 452X is a higher percentage of veteran than just about anything out there. And it just builds builds a really stable string. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't move. It doesn't, uh, you know, you don't lose cam timing if it's built right. Um, some of the other materials have less veteran, uh, more Dyneema. Um, you know, some of the materials, that, you know, some of the older string materials have like a polyester um, material. So just, you know, just really application specific and what you're looking to build uh, build with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what's uh, at your shop, what's the what's like the process? Uh, not take it back, uh, maybe like the, the time. What's the time process it takes you to, to do all that to from the testing and and uh, and uh, and all the way into production so uh basically you know we get an order in it hits the billboard uh we can lay it up uh pre-tension it serve it um you know a typical two to three piece set we can build in about an hour and a half okay and you guys are how many of those are you pumping out a day it sounds like a busy day of just testing and putting the doing all the bowstring stuff yeah it's uh it's a bunch, man. You know, the, the after cycling piece of it's kind of it's kind of an automated process that we have. Um, the machine the machine kind of does it by itself, so we can, you know, put them on there and walk away and do, you know continue building, uh, you know, for other customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. in, with this business, I mean, I, I'd assume that it probably consumes your, a lot of your time. It does, man. With uh, you know, with, with just building strings and then doing the social media piece of it. And, you know, trying to get more business, calling dealers, talking to dealers, networking. Um, it is it is a, a pretty much around the clock job. Yeah, no, I I, I totally feel you on the uh, social media content portion because I'm trying to. Obviously, this podcast is like brand new, and and then uh, you know trying to like pump out hats and then try to make content for my page. I'm kind of like doing it all by myself, so I, I totally understand the uh, the time constraint it could be for that. Because sometimes I'm like, man, like I got to do this and then my other job at the same time. So it's just, yeah. it's, it can be, that can be super stressful. Um, uh, you know, luckily, luckily for us, you know, luckily for me, I've got a, I've got a wonderful wife that kind of helps them take care of the bookkeeping and mm-hmm. keeps the material ordered and keeps everything rolling on, on that side of it. So, um, but, and, and we also hired a kind of a media marketing company that, uh, that kind of helps us. So you'll see those, you'll see those guys popping around on, on social media from time to time. Oh yeah. Yeah, I probably gotta get get somebody like that as well. I mean, my wife has been helping out as as well, um, as much as she can. You know, she's full time at a hospital, so it's she's got her hands tied. But I, yeah, I totally get it with all that. And uh, so that that kind of brings me to my next question. With that, is like, how's how's uh how's like with running the business as much as you you're doing it? You know, how you have you how you just explained it? Um, how's that impacted your your hunting season? You know, <laughs> that's a touchy subject, man. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we typically, you know, I go to Montana or either Idaho every year for a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, man, when, when September rolls around, we, we throw a thing out there on Facebook and on our website and, you know, <laughs> just let everybody know that orders are going to be uh, delayed. And you're uh, you're going up to September time for, for that elk? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. How is that? It, I mean, I've, I've, me and my brother-in-law have been talking about wanting to do it. I know we looked into, uh, we actually looked into Idaho, but I know like they were talking about how the tags have just been flying off the roof. Like, I guess Idaho was like sold out of tags like day two. Yeah, uh, and they changed it again this year. So last year we we actually went to Idaho. 
And uh, we, you know, we got a unit that uh, that holds a lot of really good elk, uh, but it takes a lot of work to get back in there to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to buy that over the counter. Um, but this year they cha- they changed it up, and I think they sold out a non-resident tax pretty quick. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs because um, we're we're gonna we're planning on going back to Montana this year, so I didn't really worry about Idaho too much and how what all they changed. But uh, yeah, man, I, I would prefer to hunt Montana over Idaho. Oh, really? Why is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's uh, I think there's more there's more herd density. Uh, you know, there's more elk. Um, in Montana, uh, the land's more accessible, um, so it, it's just a little bit better better hunting. And uh, I lived in Montana for for five six years, so you know I hunted that same area. I know it very well. You know I know where the elk are at, know where they uh, know where they come to and from. So um, the odds are definitely better uh, in my favor than going somewhere I don't really know, like kind of like Idaho. All right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I've been. I've been dreaming about going out there and trying to do an elk hunt and stuff. I just, I don't know, I don't got the money yet, <laughs> but I want to do like a DIY kind of thing going on. I know a lot of guys that, that I, I follow on, on social media that they, they go out and they do that. And it just seems, man, it just seems like a lot of fun to go with your boys. It does look like a workout though. And that was something I, I had covered on a recent podcast was like, just getting back there. You got to be in some kind of shape in some kind of way. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, in a given day, I think, uh, so here before last we went, you know, and we, we were doing about eight, 10 miles a day uh, wow. on average. So, uh, you know, across the course of, of two weeks, uh, you know, I think we did 196 miles through the mountains. Holy crap. Yeah, we, we put down some mileage, man. It was uh, pretty extreme. Just get back to that unit for those uh, for those bulls? Yep, just to get in there. And, you know, we, uh, we, we, we set up a base camp and, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, every day we carry our packs with us and we've got our bivvies and our lightweight gear. Um, so we, you know, we get on the elk, we stay on the elk, you know, we, we, we sleep out there with them. That's um, awesome. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Um, but the reward is great, you know, and, and the experience is great, especially for somebody that's never done it. It's just, a kind of, kind of God's country, you know, it's mm-hmm. awesome. Oh man, yeah, you get me excited. I want to, I want to do that so bad. I'm probably gonna have to plan all this year for next season, possibly. That's gonna be the only way I'm gonna be able to do it. Cause it... yeah, well, let me know, man. I, there was, there's been a, a few years out of the last probably ten that I've, uh, you know, somebody either bailed out on me or I couldn't get somebody to go, and I just went solo. So. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Shit, I'll definitely hit you up for that. That'd be, that'd be amazing, man. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, what, what kind of, what kind of gear are you running since we're already on that, on that topic too? You know, boots, uh, boots. I like, I like to run the Krispies. Um, the Krispies just make an ultimate boot, man. Uh, and then, uh, forest packs and gear. I run all Kafaru, uh, Kafaru, you know, they make really, really good stuff. And, uh, I like to support Aaron and, and what he does, uh, for, you know, uh, so yeah. Uh, as far as the wall tent, man, we just run, uh, we run, you know, canvas wall tents and standard cots and, uh, you know, so not, uh, not, not a whole lot special, you know, mm-hmm. just, just what gets us out there and what keeps us out there. Right. And, uh, what camo are you running? Uh, Sitka. We run all okay. Sitka. Yep. And, and you guys like that one for being, I know I use it for you know, like, you know, the deer hunting and stuff like that. And, um, then I, obviously I use some for, for some waterfowl hunting I went on and I loved it. 
but I've never used it for anything um, as far as that, like getting out there in the backcountry and, and actually like utilizing that system for what it's really made for. Um, yeah. How, it, did, how did you it, really like that? It is, it is designed to, to be, you know, in a mountain, you know, and, um, it, it, you know, the way it wicks sweat away, the way it fits. I mean, it's, it's made to move in. Um, it's just awesome. I call it gear. It's not clothes. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's part of, part of my gear. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you get sweaty, you get nasty, you get funky out there in the mountains and, uh, you know, just the material is made out of, it's just great. Really, really good stuff. And when, um, when did you, uh, when did you switch over to that? Uh, we switched over to Sitka, I don't know, about, uh, about four years ago, three or four years ago. Yeah. Well, the only downfall is it's, it's, you know, super, super pricey and, uh, you know, it's taken me a few years to get a full, you know, full set of it, but, uh, that's yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no, I'm, I'd totally get you on the price tag thing. Cause that's what I had to do. Uh, especially for, for the waterfowl one, it was just, I had to put some money away and <laughs> dig in <laughs> and find yeah. some, find some pennies beyond the couch to try to try to get the system ready to go. I just couldn't go without mixing matching stuff so i was like oh, i'm just gonna cry once buy once kind of thing <laughs> that's that's, the thing. that's that's how i am with everything man it's you know buy quality once and and cry once and, and you, you've got it yep no definitely definitely agree with that and um you know i was just creeping on your on your page the other day and stuff and um i saw you know with your with your children that you're getting them into into archery possibly absolutely man my girls love they love to shoot their bow so yeah, absolutely. And uh, how how long have they been getting into that? Uh, so my oldest one is now uh, about to be seven, and she asked for her first bow for her third birthday. Uh, so she's been shooting since she was basically three years old. Damn. So, yeah. And then my youngest one, uh, she's also been shooting since about now oh, three and a half, four years old. She's been, you know, she's she's just getting into it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been telling my wife I want a girl too. That's like <laughs> that's where I want to go. I didn't want yeah, a, I didn't want a boy. So. Yeah, they're awesome, man. The kids kids are just awesome in general. Um so back to your uh to more of the hunting stuff too. I mean, um besides your elk stuff, I mean what other uh what other species of animals you've been you've been getting after other or you're just basically st- stuck on chasing chasing bull? So we, we chase we chase elk every year, um, but in that same you know same area you know we also have mule deer tags we we hunt mule deer. Um, a few years ago I, I got uh, fortunate enough to uh, go to northern Maine um, and shoot some uh, got got to hunt some black bear. Um, that was uh, that was awesome. Um, yeah, big big black bear man up there in northern Maine. Damn. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I've been I've been telling my dad. That's what I want to go do is is go bear hunting up in North Georgia, because uh, that's where we're at of obviously. And um, I've been I've been telling I was like, man, just get a crossbow and do it. Like, you're, we'll we'll mm-hmm. find a way to get one because that that would be a, that would be an awesome awesome hunt. I, I think I'd really enjoy that. I mean, it's such a big yeah. animal. And how is that? We with had a the, blast. I'm sorry. I uh, said so we had a blast, man. It was kind of was kind of cut short, but uh, the, the trip was. But that was my own doing. <laughs> um, you know, we, we got up there and, you know, it was rainy and nasty for the first couple of days. And, um, I finally told buddy, the buddy that was up there, you know, he was taking me hunting, you know, and he'd been running cameras and, you know, he'd been running bait. And, um, we had, I forget how many pictures, how many hundreds of pictures we had. 
you know, of bear in like a 30 day period. Um, but the very first afternoon that I got to hunt, you know, it was, uh, I think I got into, I got into stand about two o'clock, um, two 30. And I think at, uh, 335 uh, I was tagged out with uh, with a bear that had never been on camera before he was pretty much the pretty much the biggest one that anybody had ever seen Damn. <laughs> he was uh, he was definitely huge man so uh, we uh we spent the rest of the rest of the week just kind of uh, I think we took the boat out and kind of rode around but yeah uh, uh, that kind of ended it was kind of short and sweet but uh, but yeah the hunt was awesome uh, experience was awesome. And uh, you know, got to come home with a with a with a trophy. Oh hell yeah! So, but go ahead and dive deep into that because I, I really want to know more about this black bear hunt. Like, what uh, like where did he like, where were you posted up at in the woods, and and how how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you like tag him? Like, yeah. you tagged him out on archery. Yeah, yeah, I, I shoot everything with a bow. I don't uh, you know, with the exception of coyotes and stuff like that, uh, I, I strictly bow hunt. So. Um, but yeah, no, man, uh, you know, he, a good friend of mine, uh, he, he set everything up for us and, uh, just stayed at his place and, you know, he baited for about 30 days ahead of time and run cameras. Um, so when I, when I flew in and got there and, uh, you know, like I said, it was rainy and nasty for a couple of days, but, but, uh, the very first sit, man, uh, you know, I, he came out, um, that couldn't really give me a really good clean shot. Uh, just, um, the, the bear was so big. I don't know. The barrels were, you know, full foot off the ground and he was literally sitting, down, sitting on his butt and he was having to bend his head down to get, get into this barrel. Good Lord. Yeah. He, he just never, you know, sat there and sat there and I, you know, probably an hour passed, 45 minutes passed. And, and finally he, he turned just enough to give me some, uh, you know, a good shot. And, uh, yeah, one shot, uh, he, he went, I don't know, 15, 20 yards and piled up, uh, and expired. And, uh, yeah, we got him back. And, uh, once we, we knocked the hide off of him and got him, got him caked out. Uh, yeah, we opened him up, man. It was a, a double lung and heart. So yeah, perfect nice. shot. Yeah. Dude, you know, dream shot. Uh, yeah. Went out clean. Uh, good ethical kill. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, but, did you guys eat the, the meat or you guys donate that meat or, or what? No, we, we, we ate it, man. It's, uh, you know, if if it's uh if it's done right if it's you know cleaned up right um you know prepared right it's really really good to eat so really? so yeah we yep we ate, ate on it for a couple of years <laughs> that's awesome um that's a, how do you guys cure that meat uh you know we we did uh we did a hamburger with a bunch of it and uh we had uh, some some little steaks and uh some little chops and stuff but uh but most of it went into burger mm-hmm. so Lots of bear burger, and we, we mixed it with 40% uh, beef fat because uh, the bear fat, you know, there's a lot of fat on them, but you, know, you got to get all of that fat off, or it's it's probably the most nastiest thing you'll ever put in your mouth. Really? So, so, you know, when you take all the fat off of it, when you make a burger, nothing sticks together unless you put some, some good fat in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we did, did 40% beef fat, and uh, yeah, and, and loved it. Good, good stuff. And because uh, I, I know people have told me before you know, um, that have gone bear hunting, they were just like, oh, the bear meat is, you know, it, it can be kind of gross, like with maggot or worms in it and stuff like that. And um, do you guys like, how do you guys get that meat to, to be right? Are you just cooking it or are you like setting it in like, I've heard stories of putting it in milk uh, for a couple of days and like getting it to. No, <laughs> no. 
Don't no. The only thing you you know with bear meat, you got to cook at the temperature. You know, you, you can't. You you know, you don't want to eat it uh, medium rare, rare. You know, you want to get it fully cooked. Um, you know, they do have they do have some, you know the possibility of having parasites, but but by cooking it all the way through and getting it up to the proper temperature, you you kind of you know mitigate that. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, what'd you guys do after that? Look with the hide, you got that hanging up at your at your place. Believe it or not, man, he is still at the taxidermy. Um, in, in northern Maine, I got a. He should be actually ready here in the next month or two. Oh man! Uh, so I'll, have him, I'll have him created up and shipped uh, shipped to us. But uh, but yeah, we did a uh, I did a half body mount on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so basically, his uh, his front his front two shoulders, you know, legs and paws and all that uh, will be you know uh, all in one mount. So so really cool mount. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to get him back, man. Yeah, man. That. That sounds freaking awesome. That's gonna be a cool fucking mount. Um, so the uh, with that going on with the with the bear. Um, so how how are they like? Are they really active uh, during the daytime and stuff when you were when you were kind of watching them? Are they pretty aware? Are they kind of like how deer move? Like are they you know super aware of everything going on? You got to play the wind on them, or you you know so. So wind is wind is is very very important when bear hunting. Smell is very important. I mean, you know they they tell you they can't really hear or else can't see well, but you know they'll smell they can smell a Snickers bar in your pocket from five miles. Um, so just you know and, and they they're really uh, they're really skittish. You know they kind of you know kind of remind me of whitetail uh, in that aspect. I mean, this bear when he came in, I I kind of thought I could hear something, and you know he came he did a full 360 degree circle around me before he came in, um, and even when he came in, you could see that you could see his nose. He was nose in the air and and constantly sniffing. Every time the wind would blow, he'd pick his nose up and put it into the wind. Um, so just really, you know, they're really really you know keen animals. Um, really really very aware of what's around them. Wow. And um, did you guys get it weighed? Did you ever weigh the the weigh the bear and stuff and find out what he was we, pushing? We did, and I want to say I don't remember exactly what he weighed, but he was uh, he was well over four hundred pounds. Uh, I want to say four fifteen, four twenty, something like that. Good lord! Yeah, I don't know if we have any bears that big in Georgia. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, anybody listening to this would probably be like, you're gonna probably shoot me a DM, and be like, dude, we got humongous bears. Uh, but like I've, I mean, I've never seen one. I've seen I've seen one in Virginia. And that's the only time I've ever seen a black bear. Uh, I know my buddies come across them a couple of times, but they kind of run the other direction. They don't seem very uh, super confrontational uh, to people yeah. unless you're with the cubs or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen a bunch of bunch of black bear and you know in Montana hunting and stuff. And uh, yeah, they just they just don't grow them in Montana like they like they do in northern Maine up there around Canada. You know, we were all the way up in the county. Um, up in up in Maine, and it's just some just some big bear. Um, you know, I know Virginia, and, you know Virginia, and those areas have some some pretty big bear, black bear as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, he was definitely. Um, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter, but uh, but you know, if I if I could classify anything as a trophy, that that bear was probably my best uh, best to date uh, in any animal I shot. Wow. Oh. And. Uh... And, but I mean, you're hunting up there in Montana, so you're are you in bear country where that unit's at and stuff? Absolutely, man, absolutely. So two years ago, um, 
the, the last time we hunted Montana was two years ago, and uh, they actually, uh, you know, kind of cordon off the area that I normally hunt in. Uh, there was a wildflower that grows up there, and you know, in Montana they they free range cattle, you mm-hmm. know, and um, these cattle got into this wildflower, and apparently this wildflower is is poisonous to cattle, and it. I think there was like 12 or 13 dead animals up there, dead cows. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, all that stinky dead animals up there called in the grizzly bears. It was, I forget, they, they said it was like eight or ten bear in a five-mile area. Whoa. Grizzlies. And so they, you know, they, they moved the cattle across the mountain. And uh, and they went, the wildlife and fisheries or, or whoever uh, went up there and did what they call canistering the bears, the, the, the cows up there, kind of getting rid of them. And, uh, you know, I honestly, I think because we hunted basically where they pushed the cows at is where we hunted that year. And uh, we had uh, one confrontation at 930 at night while we we're coming back. Well, you know, just a <laughs> pitch black, uh, you know, the moon, the moon wasn't over the mountains yet. And here we are, you know, 60, 70 yards with a with a, a big mama bear and two cubs. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, not a good situation, man. We, we just kind of backed, side-skirted the hill and, and backed off, and we were able to get, a, get away from her, so we thought. And as we were, you know, getting our ATVs together and, and getting up to go, we turned to look, and, and she's, I guess we were on the menu. I don't know, because she was, uh, she had done followed us, and, uh, and actually was cutting us off. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, kind of. Kind of a wild night. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, running away from a from a grizzly bear. I bet <laughs> that has got to be insane. And, uh, and uh, no, go on. Sorry. So, so two nights later, uh, we, we we come back to camp a little early, uh, just kind of tired and just needing some rest. We come back to camp. You know, it was I don't know hour after dark, and we hear some uh, some some small some small ammo fire. You know, across the hill and. Like man, did you hear that? You know, and then all of a sudden you hear, you know, sound like the rifle pop off a few times, and it's like man, what in the world? You know, so uh, we get up to go hunting the next morning, and we're we're headed back up to the main road, and there's a uh, forest service guy there. He's like, hey, uh, which way are you guys going? And we we told him. He's like, okay, well, stay away from this area over here because there was a uh, a big uh, male grizzly that they got into a camp last night and mauled two guys. Um, so they didn't kill them, um, but uh, both of them were had to be. I think I think one of them was air, airlifted out. Um, it was a <laughs> it was a crazy 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 week and a half uh, hunting. Oh um, man, holy crap! We, were, we come across another another grizzly bear a couple of days later. Um, it was I'd never seen that many up there in one one trip, but uh, yeah, definitely a definitely a wild trip, man. Is every trip like that? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, I, you know, I've seen I've seen them at a distance, you know, in the past years, um, but nothing like this. It was this that that was probably the most, you know, probably one of the wildest trips we we ever took. That is insane. Yeah, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. She's not gonna let me go. <laughs> like, Why are you going into bear country? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Man, don't try it. <laughs> Do what you, you do what you got to do. You know we carry we carry big handguns. Um, you know we carry bear spray. You know so okay. Do, do, do what you can to protect yourself, and you know it's, it's really just being aware of your your surroundings and kind of where you're going. You know. Yeah, and I know my biggest my biggest question with all that too is. Um, 
packing out that meat when you're you know you're doing all that stuff. I mean, what's the big concern with bears there? Because obviously it's a concern. Uh, but how do you guys like? I know sometimes people come back the next day or something. You know, pick up the rest of the meat. Like, how do you know? I mean, is it luck of the draw that the bear didn't get over there and, and snag it? You know, it's, it's the, I've, I've shot a few elk up there, and um, I, I left one overnight. It was just a, it was too far back in, and um, you know, it was too late, late in the afternoon. It was right at dark thirty, and so I, I, it was, a, and it was a cow. And uh, man, I was a nervous wreck coming back in there the next morning. <laughs> uh, I, I actually climbed up to the top of a, a big hill so I could look down at down at her and, and sat there up there with binoculars looking for you know 15, 20 minutes, make sure there was <laughs> no critters that could eat me that was uh, down there with her. Um, so yeah, just be super aware, man. Um, but you know, a big a nice bull will take you four or five trips to get him out. Um, if you know if you're running solo, so yeah, yeah, that's got to be sketch doing a solo hunt out there. I couldn't that now that's a that's a that, that sounds overly sketchy for me. Like, I at least got to have a, a two man team or something, but I don't think I can you know, go myself. The way technology is today, and you know, these these uh, we, we run the Garmin uh devices, um, they actually have a two way text messaging and a SOS um feature on them, so you know, I, we can actually text back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you, you know, if you were really into in a bond, you could hit the SOS, um, and they, you know, they come get you in a helicopter. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Pretty quick. So it kind of gives you a little bit of, uh, a little insurance, a little, little bit of feeling about doing it and mm-hmm. getting out there. Um, so yeah. And, uh, when you're planning for your, when you're planning for your hunt too, I mean, are you, uh, using Onyx? What platform are you using to, to scout for your um, pre-scouting and stuff like that. Uh, what did we we swapped to this year, or, or I swapped to this year was uh, called Base Map. Mm-hmm. Uh, super super awesome uh, software. I mean, just just the yeah, the features is just a great 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 platform. Um, and you can download the maps, you know, on your phone, um, so you can use them offline because of course there's no cell phone service up there. Right. So. Um, and then I, you know, I'm kind of old school too. I, you know, if the areas that I'm hunting, I, I go to mytopo.com uh, and I get uh, printed maps uh, sent okay. to me. Um, so, so I do that, and then I run a standard GPS as well. Yeah, I run the Garmin GPS too. So, okay, yeah, I was I was just listening to a. Uh, it's it's awesome you say that because I was just listening to a podcast um, the other day. Um, East meets West and uh, he was uh, talking to a guy about e-scouting and how he does that you know like he uses the Google Maps and then he you know he'll get down and, and draw his borders you know his buffer points and stuff like that of where he's going to go and mm-hmm. and hunt the animal and it kind of works for he has a whole course on it and stuff like that just to teach people to go back I guess to that skill because um, it's probably very perishable if it's anything that, that it was like for us in the military like land navigation is a super perishable skill you know, if you're not practicing doing it and you don't retain any of that information, it can happen like that. Because you can't, you know, sometimes the GPS will fail. You know, technology fails. Absolutely, man. If you don't know how to read a map and, you know, and, and use a scale and, you know, look at a compass, you know. Um, but one of the biggest things that I can tell people, especially in the backcountry, you know, mountains, you got mountain peaks, you know, pick pick something that, that stands out. Um, pick something that's the tallest thing out there, you know, and kind of give yourself a waypoint. Mm-hmm. Um that way, if you do get turned around, which is easy to do, and uh, your electronics fail, at least you, you got something to point at. 
um, that'll hope you know get you back in the general vicinity of where you where you need to go. Yeah, yeah. We used to call those uh, backstops, and we would. Yep. That's how we would do it. And I remember as as I started transitioning over, you know, just being a more senior guy, I kind of got away from the from the Garmin, and I started using the Compass solely, just using the Compass because I just felt that using that would be would be ten times better for me, honestly, and 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 it also hones the skill in. And then when you do use the the Garmin, you can kind of just play off the two, you know, if they work. But that that's awesome. Um, you know. Uh, how long does it take you guys for your for your pre scouting? What is what is like your pre preparation for September kind of look like for you? You know, honestly, if I'm going to Montana, man, I've hunted that area so so long. I mean, I I've got a gear list that, that's kind of doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really just up to loading the trailer and, and taking off. But uh, Idaho, man, we we took a lot of time. It was me and a friend of mine that that, that did it this this past season. Uh, we took a lot of time, you know, e-scouting, you know, using Google Maps, using Base Map, um, you know, looking at the topography because it, it was a, it was a pretty bad trip, you know. And then we then we were running wildfire trying to get out of there. Uh, but uh, that was a, you know, uh, I guess if I'd say anything, you know, just anybody that wants to get into backcountry hunting, you know, get up in the mountains, uh, definitely, definitely do some e-scouting and uh, definitely build a list of of you know, what you're going to bring. Uh, and it's easy to bring too much. Um, so, so don't, you know, be, be aware that, you know, ounces, you know, ounces equal pounds mm-hmm. and pounds equal. So. Yep. Yeah. That's what, that was our old saying too. When we would, uh, go to the field or do any kind of ruck marches, man, it's like, don't bring too much stuff because, you know, just yep. like you said, uh, with the ounces equal pounds, cause it'll get you after a while. It may not seem like it, maybe the first two, three miles, you think you could tough it out and then, before you know it you're just you're sucking and and that that extra towel or that extra t-shirt finally gets to you (laughs) that's another big you know back to the sipki gear you know that's another big big proponent is is lightweight you know especially the stuff that we hunt in you know in in mid-september you know it it doesn't get too cold up there and it doesn't get too hot so it's really lightweight and it's you know uh, it's good you, good you can layer up you know you got a good puffy jacket and you should be good to go oh yeah yeah i, I and the thing is i uh i never bought the white tail line i didn't i didn't go into buying that one um i don't know why i didn't do it at first but i went straight to the subalpine um because mm. i was like oh you know i can kind of probably it's, especially here in georgia it doesn't really get too dead woody uh for you yeah. to really use the elevated i guess it's so much green is still here uh, even during the rut, so I went. I opted for the uh, the subalpine, and I used that one, and I love it. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to use this for turkey hunting too, because, I mean, it, it works for all season round basically for me right now. And yeah. uh, I- and I uh, I I absolutely love it. It's it's such a good system. Um, love the face mask. I, I th- the once I got that, I don't think I wore it once without a face mask on, for the entirety <laughs> of the hunt. So like, I love that thing. I was like. Love it. And then I got that the Kelvin Active hoodie, and that yep. thing changed the game. I didn't even have to wear – I probably couldn't have even worn anything underneath it. It was just awesome. What an awesome system. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love the I love the Kelvin the, the Kelvin uh, vest and the hoodies. And, yeah, they're, they're good stuff, man, really good stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, do you uh, do you run anything else, like, for your whitetail hunting and stuff like that? Like, uh, how how does your whitetail season kind of look now, too, if, we, if we're going to transition over to species? You know, I'm, I'm super interested in what you got going on with that. 
you know, so we went to Missouri this past season, uh, chasing whitetail, and um, spent just all, kind of a long weekend there in Missouri. And you know, really, man, I, I wore the same Sitka clothes that I that I wear in the mountains. Um, didn't really change any, anything gear wise. Uh, uh, you know, we, we kind of got to Missouri a little early. Uh, you know, they, they weren't chasing, and uh, you know, I ended up tagging out on two does. Uh, just we're constrained on time, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, if I'm if I'm, I'm in such a target-rich environment, you know, if the bucks aren't bucks are all nocturnal, and I got the opportunity on some does, I'm gonna go ahead and put some meat in the freezer. So, so that's what go. I did. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I freaking didn't have any luck this year. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's just from what I'm understanding for everybody, my, my friends that, that hunt so much more, you know, they told me that it's expected and, like, don't expect anything glorious to come out of your first season all the time. Like, and I, you know, like I had said in other podcasts too, I mean, I, I just, I took a lot of knowledge in, learned a lot at, off this season and what I want to do for next one. So I'm hoping next one pays off uh, yep. and it'll be pretty good. Um, yeah. It, it happens, man. I mean, Montana, you know, three years in a row, I, you know, I was able to tag out on elk mule deer, and, you know, and, and just awesome years, three years in a row. And then, you know, for the last two years, man, I've struck out, you know, I haven't shot an elk yet, you know, for, for two years. So uh, ho- hopefully this year changes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope so for you, man. Um, what about, uh, so with your, with your elk hunt, I mean, and since, you know, wasn't very fruitful this year, is that, is that due to the, uh, to the new elk hunting hype that's been going on you know man there's you know when i first started hunting in the area hunting in montana you know i might see a couple of vehicles in there and over the years man it's been um it, it is a hype and it is something that everybody's getting into but you know what you know one good thing about montana that area we hunt in is 3.3 million acres so go get lost you know i mean it, mm-hmm. there's so much down and if you're not afraid to get out there in it you know um, you'll, you'll, you'll never see anybody. Right. You know, there could be hundreds of people hunting in this, the same area, the same place, and you, you'll never see them. Um, but you know, you got to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so, and that's the same thing. I know that some guys that, um, that I talk to sometimes that, that whitetail hunt, it's like that too. You know, you're just going to have to push a little further back into public land. You know, yep. do you get away from these, you get away from folks? Cause it just, it gets crowded, it get, especially when, once gun season hits, as you know, it you know, just gets super, super crowded in there if you haven't tagged out on anything. And, uh, I, I totally understand that, how that could be like that, especially with, you know, COVID and everything else. People are just, they're heading to the mountains or they're going out there to hunt and, you know, and enjoy the fresh air and just yeah. to pick up a new hobby. And, it's and a beat- I love it. To be to be real honest, man, you know, I actually use the competition to my advantage. You know, um, what I find most people they'll get in there, you know, they'll get in there two or three miles off of a trail or something. And that's about as far as they go. Um, so if I get in there, you know, eight, nine, ten miles in, um, you know, I use those people that are hunting the hunting the, the boundary around me, you know, to my advantage. They they push animals around and oh yeah, uh, and I use that. So have you uh have you been whitetail hunting in in Montana? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whitetails. You know, whitetail is you know kind of in the same uh, in the same time period. You know, big game season. It's, it's whitetail, mule deer, uh, elk. You know, if you, if you're lucky enough to get a moose tag. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely, man. We you know if I got the opportunity and I got extra time, yeah, I'll go chase some whitetail for sure. Oh, um, man, white 
whitetail is a little bit more difficult in Montana, just with the, you know, a lot of the areas that are prone to having whitetail or, you know, farmland, ranch land. Um, and it's kind of hard to get on because most of it's private or locked up. So, right. And, uh, with pushing out to those units and stuff like that, are, are you having to cross over public land a lot or private land to get into those public spots? No. Okay. Not at all. Well, that's good. <laughs> at least you have nothing to get in your way. Yeah, I mean, where we go at now, we, we park the truck and pull down the ATVs and, and uh, hook everything up. We, we are, we're actually able to ATV in about 10 miles, 11 miles into the backcountry. Um, and that's where we'll set up base camp. And then we'll hunt, you know, five, six miles, or, you know, diameter, you know, radius around around that area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all, all public, man. Man, that's freaking awesome. It's great that you get to at least get out there in September and, and, and crush it. And same thing for yeah. chasing, chasing whitetail. It sounds like the ultimate dream you got going on. <laughs> um, so... Uh, what what arrows are you using? Do you or do you kind of like geek out into like arrow rods and arrowheads and what you what you really want to use out there? Well, I'm particular, uh, you know, when, when it comes to shafts and and what I shoot. Uh, you know, I, I have been shooting eastern axis uh, for for a long time, five millimeter eastern axis. Uh, this year, I've swapped over to black eagle. Um, the uh, the uh, I think they're called deep impacts. Uh, about the same diameter, um, just a solid arrow, man. They're, they're, you know, pretty consistent uh, arrow to arrow. And uh, for broadheads, you know, I've been, uh, for the longest time, you know, I've been shooting the muzzy trocars um, just because they fly. I mean, they, they uh, in my opinion, in my testing, these these things just fly better than, than a lot of the other ones do. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not a mechanical guy. I, I, I shot mechanical years and years ago, and I shot a, I shot a whitetail with one, and it didn't open. Um, I was able to, um, you know, get the deer, uh, but it took uh, hours and hours and hours of searching to find her. Um, so I, from that point on, I, I went back to fixed blade and, and never looked back. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been looking at myself trying to um, go into fixed head. I I really like the fixed blades. I, they just I don't know something about them. It doesn't seem like there's too many bells and whistles. It's kind of to the point. You know, no pun intended. So. Yeah. I, <laughs> And you also, you know, when you're shooting big animals, like, you know, when you shoot shoot elk and stuff, you, you know, out west, we're, you know, we're, sometimes we have to take those longer shots, you know, you don't want to lose that excess kinetic energy, mm-hmm. you know, mechanical having to open, you know, you want a good cut on contact head and, um, you know, you want to get as much penetration as you can. Um, and I find with the mechanicals, you, you lose a little bit. So, um, so I don't, you know, just not sacrificing kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what poundage are you uh, are you using on those big animals? Do you have you to know, con- uh, do you have to like constantly adjust your your bow? But with you owning a owning you know basically a bow shop essentially, I mean you probably have two or three bows like ready to go for for whatever species you're going after. Yeah, I mean I, you know I, it doesn't matter if I'm whitetail hunting or milk hunting. You know I'm shooting seventy to seventy four pounds. Um, and that's just where it sits at, man. I, I shoot the same, I shoot the same, the same weight arrows. It, nothing really changes in my setup. Okay. Uh, it can, if it can kill an elk, it can kill a whitetail. That's kind of my. <laughs> so. Yeah, kill a big ass black bear. <laughs> It'll probably put it down. Yeah. So, um, 
my uh my other question here was um what's the uh what's the common myth about your profession or your field that you want to uh you kind of want to debunk common myth um man i don't i don't know man uh nothing really comes to mind common myth huh yeah like in the sense of of like anybody can really just get started into this and you'll make money overnight you know or something like that oh i guess if you're talking in a business aspect you know you know a lot of people don't don't realize what it takes to make a bowstring you know the equipment it takes uh, uh you know a lot of specialized equipment goes into it um, but what a lot of people don't really uh you know realize it, they look at the price of a, of a bowstring and they say man that's just something i want to jump in and do but and when you factor in what 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 the manufacturing insurance cost is per year, and you factor in what because uh, all ma- all manufacturers in the in the archery industry have to pay a federal excise tax on manufacturing, so um, 11% of everything that that uh, that we sell is is charged 11 you know 11% to the federal government. Uh, so. You know, you take the price of material, you know, and the time it takes you to do it. You know, our, our profit margins are really, really, really slim. Um, but, you know, the, the general myth is all those guys are making money and, you know, they're making a ton of money. But uh, once you take everything out, your overhead cost and your taxes, there's not a whole lot left. So Yeah. And, and this money, this 11 percent that's going to the uh, to the feds, is it um, I mean, is it is that getting poured back into the hunting conservation, you know? Is, is it absolutely. doing that or? Absolutely. So, okay. so every bit of the money that, that's, that comes in this federal excise tax, it goes back to, a, I think, an act that was put together back in the 70s. Um, so, yeah, every bit of it is, is goes right back into into the state's wildlife uh, and, and wildlife protection programs. And, um, yeah. So it's, it, it serves a good, it serves a really, really good purpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not big on on the federal government trying to tax people all the time and stuff. So I'm like, well, where's that money going to go then? Cause I mean, it should go to the, it should go to the animals. Yes. And so, you know, uh, I'm a member of the archery trade association and, you know, uh, they do a really, really good job with, uh, uh every quarter, you know, we, we have to file and pay those taxes. And typically like we just, we just filed, uh, for the fourth quarter, uh, in January and, you know, by the end of March, we'll have a report out, you know, kind of where the money went. Awesome. Well, that's good. It's yeah. good that, that, that you're able to hold, uh, hold the, you know, the, the people that are in charge of the federal government that are in charge of this, the, the, you know, the wildlife protection act and stuff like that, that they're, um, they're kind of be held accountable and you're, you guys are making sure that your money's going to where it needs to go. Cause I think that's a general concern for some people that I have talked to before, um, about hunting and like buying of you know where that money goes and some people don't believe it and stuff and and you know their big thing is like who's you know how are we checking on it to make sure that 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 money is going to that you know so right that's, exactly that's, yeah. a lot of people look at arrows too uh, arrows are, are a common myth you know fifty cents per shaft is what they're taxed so six six dollars a dozen hmm. well that's yeah. good. <laughs> That's yep. good. I mean, and and I think that's important. Uh, um, again, you know, this goes back to me with my conversations with people about hunting and stuff. You know, a lot of times, you know, they don't know that it's the, and I've said this before, so I'm kind of just kind of regurgitating this one on, on this episode too. It's just, you know, people don't know that all the money spent 
on hunting and it's really the hunters that are you know it's it's the hunting community that that is conserving these animals that it is you know providing that conservation and and that's what's important because we wouldn't be able to hunt the things that we want to go hunt if they weren't if there was no conservation and we're kind of we're kind of it you know and people shouldn't really look down on hunting too much um or at all really because it's we're the ones providing that yeah absolutely i completely agree you know i've got uh, i've got a, a couple staff shoes in other countries you know like in the united kingdom um they don't hunt there you know so i'm like well how do you how do you control population and uh and what i've been told is basically their government will go out there and basically slaughter them um and, you know nobody really knows what what happens to the animals you know are they just slaughtered to be slaughtered or uh do they do something useful with the meat or or what but that's their way of way of controlling wow and um yeah. going to your to your staff team here too i mean um how, what, what does that look like so on the tournament side of the fence of your of your of your business um how many how many pro staff guys you got you know we, we've got our staff uh we've got about 25 people um you know that 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 is a pretty broad range of, of people that are you know really what we call our our real real tournament shooters uh, we've only got a handful we've, we've got uh about six or eight uh and the remaining ready remaining guys are just you know good folks that that enjoy hunting they enjoy the joy getting out there and um, you know, they shoot local 3Ds and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, we, we kept our, our staff small on purpose. Um, we don't want to get too terribly big with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, everybody I've got on staff, uh, just excellent people, excellent folks. Um, and they, they help us out tremendously. So they, they're out there on social media. You know, I'm sure you guys see posts and stuff. And, um you know, they're big proponents of, of what we do, the strings we make, and, and they, they really help us out a lot. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And how many tournaments do you guys – I mean, are you going to these tournaments with them? You know, do you participate in, actively in these tournaments anymore? Or? So, you know, my, my big plan was to get to get back into it this year, but COVID, COVID kind of shut that down. Um, I'm a big indoor shooter. I love shooting indoor. Uh, you know, I love going to Vegas, the Vegas tournaments and – um, you know, the indoor, indoor national and stuff, but, uh, really COVID shut it down. And then, you know, with, with my company, it's like, well, you know, do I put, put forth the effort now in the company and, you know, um, get back into shooting, you know, next year. So I really poured everything I've got into, you know, into the company trying to get, uh, you know, trying to get us basically put on the map, you know, we're, you know, I've been building strings for a long time, but I haven't had a company for, you know, we, we opened our company last July. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, and then, uh, how many tournaments are you guys or these guys running? Uh, you know, my ASA guys and IBO guys. I mean, they're shooting somewhere just about every weekend. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's you know they have a winter uh, winter indoor leagues and winter indoor tournaments, and then they roll into the summertime. And you know they don't quit until I don't know midsummer, June, July. Um, just about time where it was ready to go back into hunting season. So right. Yeah. yeah they shoot year round. They must be straight, straight killers out there in the woodline, though. I mean, all that practice all all season long. I mean, they must be putting it down. You know, to be to be real honest with you, when I when I started shooting indoor, you know, I became a better archer. Um, I became a better hunter because it, shooting inside and shooting shooting at spots uh, really taught me how to aim. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
and which made me a better hunter. I mean, definitely a more effective long range hunter at that. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, especially out there, I, I, speaking on that long range too, you know, that's where I saw, uh, um, Evan Hafer, the CEO of uh, black rifle coffee and putting down an elk at like 95 yards. And I was yep. like, good luck. <laughs> and he hasn't, yeah, been, not- he hasn't been hunting that long at all. You know, like he's just been practicing like crazy. Put the, put the time in, man. It's not, it's not a, a natural talent that anybody has. It's it's the time, effort, and dedication uh, that you put into it. You know, I I'm not gonna say I put an elk down at 95, but but I did shoot I did shoot an antelope at 80 at 89, um, <laughs> and I, I shot a I shot my longest uh, muley was at 77. So good lord, so, yeah. we've uh, you're pushed to push to make those longer shots out west. Damn. Yeah, I'm gonna have to definitely go go ahead and cover that that antelope story at, at some point. We're definitely gonna have to do that. Um, yeah. We're kind of we're coming up on an hour now, Brent. And uh, my last question that I have for you is, uh, you know, what are your uh, what are your future goals for the company? You know, goals for the company. Um, you know, we we definitely want to grow. Um, you know, we're taking more pro shops on. Um, you know, it seems like, seems like every week we, we take another one, but, you know, my ultimate goal is to, to just have a solid company, build a quality set one time, at, you know, one set at a time. Um, I don't want to be, you know, these big companies that are rolling around. I don't want to become a mass producer, mm-hmm. uh, because you lose quality in my opinion. Um, so, you know, goals for companies just, you know, grow it, uh, build a quality, build, build quality, quality bowstrings and, uh, just, just keep it, keep it small and, um, uh, you know, just keep it real. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so, where can uh, where can people find you, Brent? Uh, you know, we're out there on social media, A Three Archery. You can you can just search us there, uh, www.a3archery.com as our website, uh, where you can find our our bowstrings there. Uh, we also uh, we're exclusive dealer for Darton Archery. Uh, so any of your Darton Darton bows, uh, we sell there. Black Eagle arrows, Conquest stabilizers. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we're, and we're on uh, Instagram at, uh, at at A3 Archer as well. Awesome man, awesome. Well, I appreciate ha- uh, having you on here and giving me the opportunity to uh, go ahead and interview. It's uh, it's it, it really is awesome. I haven't been able to interview anybody that's in the like in the industry doing this uh, because you know, as everyone knows, my my podcast is about getting that that local guy, that hometown guy that's doing it, and that's. That's basically who you are. You know, you're you're a small business out there. You're a local dude trying to provide for your, you know, for your archery community, your hunting community, and and that's that's what this is about. And um, I'm just I'm really glad I got the opportunity to to, to share your story, Brent. Oh, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, man. Uh, so we're gonna be signing off. Thank you guys for right. joining the Beers Bros and Bows podcast. You guys can find us on Instagram at Beers Bros and Bows, and uh, go get some hats and stuff. All right. See you, man. Yep. Later. All right. Bye.